We're going to continue in our sermon series called All In, and we're exploring what it means to go all in with Jesus. Um, Again, looking at the life of his followers, they go all in after the resurrection and that they go all around the world. They plant churches, they write the New Testament, and that Christianity is the largest faith now in the world, which we shouldn't just take for granted that some people actually had to believe and obey and go and do the stuff that we see in Scripture, and that that has taken place, is that the name of Jesus has been made known around the world. And so what practices did they do and what can we participate to go all in? And so some of the previous topics that we had talked about is, first off, we need to do it together, that we're together with one another and that we need a church, we need a faith community to go all in uh, with Jesus, that he never uh, anticipated or even had the thought that we would do this on our own. We do this together. It's an individual choice that we make but it is a team sport. And then next we talked about practicing that you don't just start surfing on huge waves like this, which is so scary, it's out of control. I mean, I've seen waves this size, and it's so scary. But you start with smaller waves. You do smaller practices. Now, you you take small steps of faith in following Christ. And then we talked about perseverance, that we will have opportunity to persevere. There will be difficulties in following Jesus. And then we talked about believing and obeying. We talked about generosity. Last week I talked about the Holy Spirit, and today we're going to be talking about forgiveness. Because in many ways, forgiveness is at the center of our relationship with God. I mean, without forgiveness, we would be in a a bad way. But God is rich in mercy, kindness, and forgiveness, but not because we deserve forgiveness. It's not because we deserve it, uh, but because He is a forgiving God. That's who He is. He is very forgiving. Um, I know for myself, and you don't need to raise your hand for this, but how many times have we all said, uh, Lord, I'm sorry, please forgive me again for the same thing that we've done over and over and over again. Um, And he forgives us. He forgives us every single time. Every time we ask for forgiveness, it's always available. Not again because I deserve it, but because that's in his nature. That's who he is. That is the God of the Bible. Um, David, writing this in Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5, says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So what we see is that when we confess to God, He forgives our sin, and forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel. And it's a wonderful part of our relationship with God. I mean, how many of who doesn't want forgiveness? It's a wonderful thing to receive. But when we start to look at the life of Jesus and we start to look what it means to go all in with him, on the one hand, it is about receiving forgiveness. That's one part of it, that I, I know that I mess up and I need forgiveness and I ask him for forgiveness and then he gives me that forgiveness. But then as we go all in with Jesus, we, we start to realize that God intends that we receive it, 
But the harder part is that we would also give forgiveness as well. So in the one hand, it is about receiving the forgiveness from him. And then on the other hand, God expects that then we too will then share forgiveness with other people. In that I, don't, I, I get what I don't deserve, which is forgiveness, and then I give to others what I don't think they deserve which is forgiveness. So again, as we look at the life of Jesus, he's crystal clear about this expectation. We watch what Jesus does. We read scriptures. We see how he interacts with other people. And then uh, we get to go and do what Jesus does. And so this idea of discipleship, that we, we watch him, we read about it, we see what he does. And then the expectation is that we would go and do that and that we're not just observers, but we're practitioners. And this is called discipleship, that I am the student and he is the teacher. I will, he is my teacher. I watch him. How does he interact with people? How does he interact with people that shouldn't like him or don't like him? Or, um, and then I go and do the same. So what we see is that you are forgiven and that you get to forgive as well. And to be honest, again, to receive forgiveness, who doesn't want that? We all want forgiveness. But then to actually go and forgive other people, that's where the rub comes. That's where it becomes difficult for us um, to actually give what has been given to us. So we're going to be looking today in Matthew chapter 18. And I want to kind of set the stage just really quick. Before we get into the scripture that we're going to be talking about, um, Jesus is asked about dealing with sin within the church. And so if someone within the church sins against you or hurts you or has some uh, issue that's brought up. So Jesus lays out a framework of how we're supposed to deal with sin within the church. And so he gives us essentially four steps. First is you're supposed to go to that person. You say, hey, Billy, this happened. And then Billy says, "Uh, sorry, I don't believe any of that. And you're wrong. Then you're supposed to bring someone else with you. And so the two of you are supposed to go and you're supposed to talk with Billy, uh, whoever Billy is. Uh, And then if that doesn't work, then you're supposed to take them before the church. So then evidently, which we've never done, and I don't know that we ever will do, just in case you're wondering, we bring them up in front of the church and be like, you're bad, Billy. And then after that, Jesus says that you're supposed to treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. Okay, so again, uh, if someone sins within the church, you're supposed to go to them. If that doesn't work, you go with somebody else. And then after that, you bring them in front of the church. And then afterwards, you're supposed to treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. And I'll get back to that, but this kind of sets the stage. And so we're going to be reading in Matthew uh, chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, well, because he just talked about, you know, the sin within the church. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. 
Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all your debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So, I mean, it's one of these classic stories within scripture that Jesus just lines this out and shares this like contrast of, you know, forgiveness and being forgiven. Again, so it's a, it's, it's a story about getting what it is that you don't deserve. And then giving someone else what you think they do deserve. So in this story, we are the servant. And essentially, we, we come to God, each one of us, with a debt that we cannot pay. And so that's essentially, in the story, you see that it's like essentially millions of dollars uh, that are forgiven. And then the guy goes out and he finds someone that owes him 20 bucks. And so this huge discrepancy in the debts. And so essentially, all of us come to God with a um, debt that we can, we can never repay. I can't overcome the debt of my sin. That's a debt I cannot repay. That's a debt that you cannot repay. Um, I can't pay back the wages of sin, which is ultimately death. And so God, as king, cancels your debt. And this is the heart of the gospel and that Jesus takes our sin and death on the cross. Our debt, sin and death, has been forgiven. Like, I could never pay that back. There's nothing I could do to pay that back. But all of that has been forgiven in Christ. And so all of us would agree, like, yes, what a wonderful deal. I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for for the forgiveness that you've given me. And again, who doesn't want forgiveness? We all want it. And then you end up getting into your car. Or you see that coworker again. Or you see that person on TV that you love or hate. Or you finally realize that Thanksgiving is an annual event and you have to see that family member every single year. And they have to see you too. (laughs) So, are you willing to give what God so freely gave you, which is ultimately forgiveness. Again, the one part we're like, yes, thank you so much. You've forgiven me again. Even though everyone in the room, including myself, has some type of issue in your life that you've asked for forgiveness for so many times that it's just ridiculous. All of us. It's more than likely a variety of like eight different things, but all of us were like, forgive me, Lord, again. I shouldn't have done it. And we're like, thank you, Lord, for forgiving us. Are you willing to give what God so freely gave to you, which is forgiveness? Now, Peter asks a really valid question, right? He gets it. He's like, whoa, whoa, this is a lot. How many times should I forgive someone? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, 77 times, which is not, this is not a literal amount. So you're not going to be keeping a tab for how many times you've forgiven this person and you're just like, man, I'm at 68. I'm so close. 
and then after 60, I'm mean, just so close to 77 if I get there. Essentially what Jesus is saying, like, no, it's not about numbers. Let's just make it so ridiculous that you won't do this, that there's probably some legalistic people in the world that have tried this. Look, I've forgiven you 77 times. I've done my job. It didn't work. I don't want to deal with any of this. So it's not a, it's not a, a literal amount of time. Jesus is clear that forgiveness is the way. Like, this is the way. As you follow me, okay, that this is the way. I have no other Mandalorian fans in the room. (laughs) This is the way. Which is clearly one of the coolest lines in all of cinema at this point in time. Like, whenever they say that, you're like, I just want to say this is the way around my friends. Like, this is so cool. This is the way. Like, yes. But forgiveness is the way. That's what he's saying, that forgiveness is the way. This is the way that we're supposed to be. This is what we're supposed to know. We're supposed to know forgiveness. We're supposed to exude forgiveness. We're we're supposed to do forgiveness with other people. This is the way. But let's just assume that you don't want to forgive or can't forgive. You just can't. Because there are other options. And we can all flex our options because we all have autonomy, meaning we all get to choose in that you can be resentful. You can have a grudge. You can be angry. You can hate. You can be frustrated. You can hurt. But the question ends up being, who are you hurting most when you choose not to forgive? That ends up being us. We're the ones that we hurt the most when we choose not to forgive. Resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. And I think Nelson Mandela is a fantastic example for us in terms of this because if anyone had ammunition to not forgive and to hate and to be resentful, Nelson Mandela for sure would have been one of those people. He was imprisoned in 1962 and then sentenced to life imprisonment for conspiring to overthrow the state. Mandela served 27 years in prison and he spent the first 18 of his 27 years in jail at the brutal Robin Island prison, confined to a small cell without a better plumbing, and was forced to do hard labor. I think that one of the things that's most amazing in terms of Nelson Mandela is that when he comes out, you can see that he's not a bitter person. I mean, you can visibly see that his demeanor and the way that he acts the way that he talks, the things that he tries to achieve, you can see that he's not angry and he's not resentful. Just wasn't. He seemed like such a genuinely nice guy, like you wanted to just go eat ice cream with him or something. He was like so nice. But that's how he presented himself because he wasn't resentful even though he was thrown in jail for a long time for trying to advocate for the rights of his people. And so unforgiveness is like a prison cell. 
But the lock to the door of this prison cell is on the inside. It's there for you. The thing that keeps you in the prison is yourself. You have the opportunity to leave. Or we can keep ourselves locked within the prison cell. Again, Jesus calls us into a life of discipleship. He is the teacher and we are the students and we're meant to follow him and do as he did. I can't reiterate this enough that it's not just when we read the Gospels, it's not just that we're supposed to look at that, appreciate it and say like, Jesus, you're so cool. Thank you for what it is that you've done. One of Jesus' greatest invitations to all of us is to follow me, and that's something that he reiterates several different times within the gospel. Come, follow me. Do as I did. And even within the uh, Jewish tradition of a rabbi and a teacher, that you would literally leave your family, and you would go, and you would follow him, and you would watch the rabbi, and then you would do as the rabbi did. So when we're talking about forgiveness, again, discipleship, that he, he intends for us to actually do these things. And one of those things is certainly this, is, is uh, forgiveness. I think one of the things that Jesus did, washing the disciples' feet, and knowing that Jesus washes the feet of Judas is one of like these huge... Not difficulties for me, but like, wow, I just don't know that I could have done that. But just washing people's feet. And just thinking like, who, whose feet would Jesus not wash? Because we put people into categories of like, I don't like that person, I hate that person, I don't agree with that person, that person's values don't align with mine, that person's my enemy, us and them, we're Christians, they're not. Whose feet would Jesus not wash? Who is Jesus' enemy? I mean, how many times do these two groups come up? Just homeless people. Or LGBTQ plus people. Are they Jesus' enemies? Are homeless people his enemies? Whose feet would Jesus not wash? And again... Forgiveness is so powerful. We like to categorize people into right and wrong. When Jesus looks out upon his creation, what does he see? He sees his children. That's who he sees. Some of us are born again. Some of us follow him. Um, 
But they're still his kids. And last, I mean, the, the biggest one for me is that he would wash the feet of Judas before Judas betrays him. What a just an amazing demonstration of love that he literally offers Judas a seat at the table by washing his feet, by humbling himself, the creator of all the universe who takes form as a human, humbles himself and washes the feet of his own betrayer. I mean, here's the thing. God forgives a debt we can never repay. That's the point of the story. That's the point of the parable. Like, you can't repay the debt of your sin. You cannot. It has been forgiven. Not by anything that you've done, but by everything that God has done. It's a free gift. You get it. We are meant to receive this forgiveness, and then we are meant to share this forgiveness with others. This is not, this is how it's supposed to be. And it's tough. <clears throat> I mean, I've shared this story several different times. You know, I grew up with my stepfather, Michael, who was a, he was a bad man. He was a bad man. He was. He was just a bad dude. And so I think from the ages of probably like 5 to 15, I was regularly getting abused at home. Um, verbally, physically, watching some of that happen to some of my other family members. And so, you know, my life kind of went in this trajectory of being the black sheep and being the bad kid and, you know, not really doing good in school and um, just other things that you might see kids who have trauma doing. And uh, then I, Jesus met me. And it took me some time to really even think about, you know, Michael... But then, I mean, I had like a huge aha moment one time where I thought, well, wait a second. Jesus knows everything about me, everything I've ever done, everything that's both public and private. And I mean, that's the thing, right? Because some of us were like, we do bad things publicly, but we all actually know all the private things that we do, even thoughts that we have, the reoccurring sins that we all wrestle with. And I said, well, Jesus has forgiven me of everything I've ever done. And so then how am I supposed to justify not forgiving Michael? And so I called him up one day and I said, hey, I want you to know that I forgive you of everything it is that you've done. And this is the funny thing about telling people that you forgive them. You're thinking more than likely they're going to, it's going to be this huge debt off of their shoulders. But sometimes it's not like that. And so in many ways, Michael really didn't think he had done much wrong. And so I said, hey, I just want you to know that I'm following Christ and I forgive you and that Jesus forgives you as well and that I love you uh, in the sense that I knew that God loved him and that I loved him as a part of creation and God's child. And... Um, yeah, he ended up coming to my graduation, which was kind of weird for me and my family. Um, but in the end, um, that forgiveness was really more for me 
in that I knew that I forgave him, like it was done. I, I, I didn't need to carry around that weight. I mean, when I was a kid, my goal in life was when I was older, I knew that he would be an old man, right? And so I'd still have, I'd be stronger than he was at one point in time, and I was literally going to beat him. That was my goal in life. I remember that, thinking like, one day you'll be old, and I'll be strong enough, and I'll be your age, and I'm going to beat you. That was my goal. But then that anger that's inside of me does nothing good for me. And so ultimately, you know, when I forgave him, that was a huge weight off of my shoulders. However, I will admit that here recently, within the last couple of years, I've had the opportunity to forgive some other people. And I think it's even been harder for me than it has in my relationship with Michael. Other hurts. Because these things continually come up, you know. I mean, if you're a a human, then you've been hurt. And if you've been in church, then you've more than likely been hurt by the church. Just being a human, part of that means that you're going to be hurt. You're going to feel like you've been betrayed. You're going to feel like you've been let down, that other people haven't measured up to what you had hoped that they would measure up to. And in reality, every single person in the room has probably given that to other people as well if we're being honest. We tend to hurt people as well, intentionally or unintentionally. It's just a part of being human. But I have found that there are certain things that I have more difficulty forgiving than than even Michael. And that's been a struggle. I thought as a younger Christian that once I had overcome some type of issue in my life, I wouldn't deal with it again. But what I found is it just comes back in a new form and generally it comes back and it's, it's like you level up on the things that you need to work through. <laughs> I thought like, okay, I'm over this whole money thing and that's good. I'll never have to deal with it again. It just comes back in a different way. Forgiveness, same thing. Like, no, man, I'm good. I forgive the guy that used to beat me up all the time. What could be worse than that? Well, I found out there are some things that are very difficult for me to forgive. And I've had to wrestle through that. And I would have to say that one of the things that has been most helpful for me with dealing with unforgiveness is telling other people that I have unforgiveness about other things and saying, like, I'm really wrestling with forgiving this issue. Confession. Again, as we follow Jesus, we we need each other. All right, last, because I always think that this is really uh, an interesting Point in all of this. So again, we're in Matthew 18 and looking at verses 15 through 20, which is right before our uh, big chunk of scripture in terms of the, the wicked servant and all of that. And again, so the big ideas that we're dealing with sin within the church, if that happens, if someone hurts you, you're supposed to go to the person, you're supposed to bring another uh, church member along, take the person before the church, and if nothing works, then you treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. And so here's the thing. Um, when, we, when we think about this and common readings of this for some reason, I don't understand this, is that if we pe- treat people like pagan and tax collectors, that means that we're supposed to treat them poorly or like kick them out. That's the idea. Like, yeah, you need to go. You're not a believer anymore, man. You're the worst. You work for the IRS. You need to get... But there's two real huge glaring problems with all of this. Um, and the first off is whose gospel are we reading when we read this? Matthew's. 
And what did Matthew do before he was following Jesus? He was a tax collector. So what many people have used as justification to be like, I need to treat you like a pagan or a tax collector, like you need to leave, is actually a whole nother embrace to say like, if that doesn't work, if that doesn't work, if that doesn't work, then bring them even closer. That's how amazing Jesus is, the gospel is, that, I mean, it's just wild, right? Because most of us were like, all right, confrontation, confrontation, I'm done. But Jesus is confrontation, come even closer. We get what we don't deserve. And we are meant to give to others what we think they don't deserve, which is forgiveness. And many times we actually believe that they don't deserve it. But unforgiveness is a prison cell we put ourselves in. And that forgiveness is the way. The church, you and me. I mean, what if Christians were really known as being the most forgiving people on earth? Wouldn't that be weird? Although, when you look at Jesus, this is so funny. I mean, what if? What if we were known as being the most forgiving people on earth? That does not mean that we don't stand for things. It doesn't mean that we don't disagree for thing, about things or have standards or boundaries or any of these things. But what if we were known as being the most forgiving people on earth? Because, quite frankly, we are not known for being the most forgiving people on earth. But we serve a God who is the most forgiving God ever. So we are forgiven and then we forgive. Or not, you have other options. But Jesus is saying, choose forgiveness. This is the way. And you guys say, no, you're saying this is the way. Stop. All right, hold on. This is the way. This is the way, yes. You've made all of my church dreams come true right there. It's awesome. All right, so we are going to have communion. Um, we do this each Sunday. And communion represents the debt that we couldn't pay. That Jesus, knowing that we had broken bodies, he came down in a body that was not broken. And he allowed his body to be broken for us because he knew that on the third day he would be raised to life again and that he calls us into relationship with him, and that as he is, so we will be one day. That we will live forever, that we will have resurrected bodies, and we'll, we will be on the new earth and the new heaven, where there will be no sin, no sickness, no death. And that the bread represents his body, and that his wine represents the blood, which was poured out for our sins, for our past, our present, and our future sins. And that this is the sign of the covenant, the sign of the kingdom. So the way that we do it is if the, you are a follower of Christ or would like to start following Christ today, you come down the center aisle, you take a piece of the bread, you put it into the wine, and then you hold on to it, and then you go around the sides like this, we hold it together, and then we will all partake together. So if you would like to take communion, please come forward. Jesus, we thank you 
We're paying a debt that we could never repay. We thank you that your death on the cross is a free gift to us. And that in you, we are new creations. We've been forgiven. The slate has been wiped clean. That you see us as you intended us to be. Thank you for your gift. Thank you for the gift of communion. That your kingdom is inside of us and that we are inside you. Help us to see you rightly. Partake. Well, why don't we stand? If at any point in time you feel like the Holy Spirit was like, touching you and that you want a prayer for not being able to forgive or needing forgiveness yourself uh, I'd love for you to come down after the service and I'd love to pray for you about that if not I'm just going to pray a prayer of blessing Lord we thank you for this time to be able to gather together we thank you for the gift of the church for brothers and sisters to be able to journey together with God we ask that you would continue to open our eyes to your reality to your goodness Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill us, that you would empower us, help us to see you, help us to hear you, and help us to obey you. And help us to shine brightly within a world that needs to know your forgiveness and your goodness. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.